Thank you, Hunter and Gracie and Jean. It's wonderful to remember back. We still celebrate that all-city Easter service every Easter morning at sunrise. I did note, however, that in Betty Carriel's history, it said 6 a.m. service. Uh, we do it at 7. We've, uh, we've experienced God's grace, and we sleep in a little later. Our text of Scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John, the fifth chapter, the first nine verses. Uh, I will be reading the Scripture and proclaiming the Word this morning, and then I'm going to slip out so I can go over and do the same in the contemporary service this morning. So don't be surprised as the anthem begins uh, if I'm heading for the door. It's, you didn't do anything wrong. I just uh, Let us listen for God's word as it comes to us from the Gospel of John. Now there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there's a pool called in Hebrew Bethsaida, which has five porticos. And in these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, one man was there who'd been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd been there for such a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water's stirred up, and while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat and walk. And at once the man was made well, and he took up his mat, and he began to walk. And now that day was a Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join me in prayer. Gracious God, we have so much for which to be grateful as we remember and celebrate 75 years of faithful witness and service in this community of this church. Now, dear God, may you speak to us as you have spoken to those who've gone before us here. May you shape us by what we hear and by what we do. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. San Marino Community Church began with a dream of creating a community of faith for the families in and surrounding this community. And today we celebrate 75 years of faithfulness, both the faithfulness of our Lord to that dream and our faithfulness together to carry it forward. The past 75 years have not been without its challenges. There have been some bumps and bruises along the way. And just like our lives, not everything goes according to plan. But this congregation has persevered, and I'm proud to have been part of its ministry these past 10 years. I sometimes think of history years ago, when I was still at Princeton Seminary, I was responsible for organizing the orientation for new students. 
And each year we had someone from the faculty who would speak to the students and help them prepare for the demands that the academic program were about to place upon them. One year, Professor Paul Roram from the history department addressed the students. And he said, you know, students often wonder why they are required to take so many history courses to meet the distribution requirements of the degree. Students often wish they could take more practical courses. So why is history so important? Then he said, because history offers perspective. And perspective offers hope. Then he was careful to elaborate by saying, there's nothing automatic about this. You can know history and not gain perspective, but for the wise, when you understand history, you gain perspective. And it leads to hope, not automatically, but it's offered in that perspective. So a little historical perspective today. It began in 1941, largely because there was a group of women in the community who wanted to organize church school for their children. The Presbytery organized the first official worship service here and this congregation was constituted. And by the way, Ken Veranda in town has said that the marker out in front of the church is wrong. And when you look at the history, you can see that he is right. (laughs) I think it was January the 23rd, 1941, when that worship service took place. It was the same year that Winston Churchill and President Franklin Roosevelt signed the Atlantic Charter. It was the same year that Hitler initiated the final solution in Germany. The first commercial television license was issued in that year. M&M's made their debut. And so did Cheery Oats which later was renamed Cheerios in 1945. And of course, Pearl Harbor and the entrance of the United States of America in World War II. The Yankees won the World Series that year and the Chicago Bears were the champions of of pro football. My own alma mater, the University of Minnesota, won the college football championship Ra, ra, shish, goomba. And the Heisman Trophy went to Bruce Smith from the University of Minnesota. Life expectancy in those years was 62.9 years. You can understand why Social Security is in such a state of affairs today. Cost of living. The average income was $1,777. A new house cost about $4,000, maybe a little more here in this neighborhood. A new car cost $850. Tuition at Harvard that year 
$420. And gasoline was 12 cents a gallon. Bob Dylan was born that year. So was Faye Dunway, Art Garfunkel, Chubby Checkers. How Green Was My Valley won the best picture that year, but Citizen Kane and Dumbo was also released. And against the backdrop of all of that, worship services began here. And this community began to organize and to teach. Worship services have continued uninterrupted, as have session meetings and deacon meetings for 75 years. Sunday school, or church school as it was known, was a high priority. By the time P. Martin Baker finished his tenure here, he had recruited and trained over 200 church school teachers. Music has always been one of the hallmarks of the San Marino Community Church. In fact, in that very first Easter service at Lacey Park, a newly formed youth choir sang at that service. It wouldn't have been known as the Chattic Choir that early, but it became the Chattic Choir. And I can tell you, Lisa Edwards and Glenda Lang have been here much longer than I have, bringing us worship and beautiful music through the years. Let's congratulate them for... I think we may have failed to celebrate their 10th anniversaries. <laughs> yeah, or the 20th, yeah. When I began my duties as the seventh pastor, I was completely aware that I was building upon a foundation that others had labored to realize. We've been handed so very much by those who've gone before us here, who've handed us all of this, providing these facilities without debt that we might continue on in the ministry that they envisioned. They gave of their time, their talent, and their treasure, and they've given it to us. It seemed to me ten years ago when I arrived that this was a congregation that was in its adolescence. And like every adolescent, you go through some experience of life where you think you're not going to recover from it. It might be the first class you ever failed. It might be a relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend that went bad. You might have sustained an injury that kept you from the athletic field. Whatever it was, you think there's no way you're going to recover. This congregation had had some difficult days, and it wondered about its future and whether it could move on. Well, we did. And the story of faith is one of creation, fall, and restoration. And we have lived that story ourselves. And that brings me to this text from John's Gospel about a man who waited for 38 years for a healing that he couldn't find. He wasn't the only one paralyzed. He was only the most obvious one in the story. Just a few months ago, those of us who were in the Holy Land, we stood at the Sheep Gate. We looked down at the pool of Bethesda where this healing took place. And Jesus asked that man a simple question, Do you want to be made well? 
might be asked of us this morning. I have maintained and I've often said that I believe health is just as contagious as disease. You introduce health to the body or into the body of Christ and it becomes contagious. We become healthier in mind, body, and spirit. Obviously, there are limits to what we can do to affect health in ourselves. But I suspect that for most of us this morning, we already know something we could do to live a healthier life. After 38 years, this man had every excuse down. He'd lie there on the deck hoping to roll into the pool just at the right time when the healing powers were stirred. Every day, making his way down to the pool in the hope of healing, he grew accustomed to a way of life, but hoped for something better, something more. He was probably dependent upon the generosity of others. I suspect he probably blamed other people for his lot in life. And then one encounter with the living Christ changed all of that. He had to get up. He had to find his own legs. He had to learn to stand himself and stand for something. Reminds me of a familiar verse of Scripture in Isaiah. Another question. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creators of the ends of the earth. He doesn't faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted, but those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not faint. Well, for 75 years, this community of faith has been learning to stand to use our collective legs to get something accomplished in the name of and for the sake of Jesus Christ. We've sought to extend that healing that God intends for all people. We've sought to teach and to learn all that we can. We've sought that kind of perspective that comes from education. And it's allowed us to experience hope through all the challenges of the last 75 years. So I think the question to us today is, do we want to be made well? Are we prepared to hear the words from our Lord? Then stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. No more excuses for why we can't use the legs that God has given us. It's time to stand and to take a stand and to use what we've been given for the purposes that God intends. Now another professor at Princeton Seminary tells the story of living with a woman of, a woman of considerable means when he was in graduate school in a rented room in a home on Library Place. 
In her dining room on the buffet, standing alone, was a vase of Steuben crystal. And it was accented by recessed lighting. It had this deep center with a flared, wide, flat rim. So when the tulips that she liked to fill it with fell in, they sort of gracefully swirled around the top of that rim. It was elegant. It was a thing of beauty, even for a young man in graduate school. Well, one day when that woman was traveling out of town, a student in one of the rooms was washing the remains of the tulips from the vase and knocked it into the sink. And a one-inch triangle of glass broke from the rim, and the rest of it cracked from the tip of that triangle all the way down to the base. And the students felt sick about it. They left it there on the kitchen counter. When the landlady returned and found her vase just as they left it, she wasn't so much angry as she was bereaved. She loved it. For days, and then it led to weeks, she left the vase lying there right on the kitchen counter, unable to bring herself to do the inevitable. Maybe they can fix it somehow, she would say from time to time. Bob would say, you can't repair broken crystal. Realistic to the core, she knew it, he knew it. She was so unrealistic and it bothered Bob, she was paralyzed by her love for that vase. Bob goes on to say, sometimes we think we understand reality because we're realistic to the core too. But there's more mystery to life than we can imagine. Jesus was never daunted by the facts. He never seemed to be much constrained by reality. Instead of our petty certainties about our lives and our arrogance about how life works, Jesus seems to invite us and all people to get well and to experience some of that healing in our lives and spirit that comes from the touch of God like the man in our story from the Gospel of John. I think I'm going to call up Steuben and see if they might be able to fix it, the landlady said one more time, and Bob tried to keep from rolling his eyes. Why can't she just give it up? And she finally called Steuben and asked if they might have some suggestion as to what she could do to restore this beautiful vase. And they were sorry for her loss, they said that vase is no longer in production, exactly what Bob had told her. But then what they said next took her breath away. They said, if you would bring the vase up to their store, their artists could fashion a replacement at Steuben's expense. They'd copy it and replace it, no charge. Steuben would bear the high cost of what Bob and his roommates had broken. Our realities are just so small. You can't fix broken crystal. Paralyzed people don't get better. But he wasn't the only paralyzed one, just the most obvious. That vase was an extraordinary vase. It was a Steuben. And when you fail to consider the source and the maker, you fail to understand the situation. 
There are so many of us who are paralyzed people, paralyzed by realities that are so devastating to us because they're only partially true. And sometimes it takes people with a little bit of delusion, like that landlady, like those church women who believed a church could be built here, like all those people who contributed to the development of the vision of the future that they wanted to participate in and were willing to support. This church, when you consider the owner and the source, can do amazing things. Who knows what the next 75 years will hold? I hope that this congregation still stands, is still engaged in ministry for a new generation. So let's take up our mat. Let's get on with it. Let's stand together. Let's walk together. And let's go forward together confident that the God who has called us together will see us through whatever the future holds. To the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.